Good morning. Good to to have you with us. I want to share with you a, a new series called the Spirit Empowered Church. And uh, that was just amazing testimony, uh, Gareth. That was that was awesome. For those who don't know, he was a pastor in town until around four or five years ago. Uh, he was in the ministry for I think sixteen, seventeen years. And uh, I just sometimes wonder, you know, in the way in the way we do church. I just think sometimes we are um, just afraid of sin. We are afraid of sin, and because of that fear, we find ourselves as Christians being unloving. And um, and it doesn't mean we say sin is right or fine or okay. We're not saying that. It's just I just think sometimes we 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 don't have a revelation of how powerful the cross is and was. We we don't realize how we don't realize how much Jesus has done for us. And how final that victory at the cross was. It was beyond anything we could ever imagine. And, and this is my heart's desire that we, as the body of Christ, would represent Jesus effectively, truly, correctly. That, that people would feel and experience the love of God. That doesn't mean that we, sh- I mean, it's, God is holy. But He is love. And, and I, I so want to, this is, my, this is my heart's cry, God, may we, when people see us, may they see Jesus. And when I read the scriptures, when I read the gospels and I see Jesus, how he interacted, he loved the sinners and they loved him. He loved the prostitutes and he loved the down and outs and they flocked to him because they, they experienced something from Jesus that they didn't experience from the religious community. And who are the people that Jesus fought with? The religious leaders. People who missed the heart of the gospel, the heart of Christianity, the heart. And so in a sense, I want to speak to you about the heart. The spirit-empowered church. Where, where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if the spirit of the Lord isn't somewhere, what is there? Not freedom. Not freedom. And, and I, believe this, I believe God wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring freedom to us. So when I became a Christian at the age of 18, I, <clears throat> the Lord flipped my life around. Even as Gareth shared, like, like your whole world turned upside down. And, and that's what I experienced. I came, I, I encountered Jesus. I went home to my hometown. I was studying. I went, went home for the holidays, was having a braai with a friend and one of my, my best friends at that stage. And, and he asked me, you're different. <laughs> what happened? And I could say, well, I met Jesus. I met the man from Nazareth, the son of God. I met him and he he floored me. It, it, everything turned around. And the thing is, I've been going to church since I was small. I, I grew up in church. My family wasn't very religious, but we went to church every now and again. I did Sunday school. I went through the whole thing. And then I, w- I went to Shofar Stellenbosch, and uh, I was floored. I said, I've, nobody ever told me. 
that God can work like this. I, no one ever told me that, that, that you can know God intimately, that you can hear his voice, that, that, that this can be so profound. No one told me, and yeah, I'm encountering God. But I grew up in church, <laughs> or oh, I went to church. There were real Christians, I presume, in the church, but I wasn't one of them. And so how many people are there in this city, and maybe some of us who come to this church, that don't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ? But hey, I went to church. That was a nice sermon. Well, that was a boring sermon. Or whatever, you know. How many people in this city are Christian in name? but not Christian in reality. And how many of us here say, I am a Christian. If someone asks, well, what do you believe? Well, I'm a Christian. Does our lifestyles confirm what we would say with our mouths? And I believe the Spirit-empowered church is a church where God is present, where the Spirit of God is at work, and it transforms us from the inside out. You know, dead religion tries to conform you from the outside. That's why, like in Matthew 23, Jesus he rebukes the Pharisees and says, you, you like tombs. Yeah, in the external, you look so beautiful. But in the inside, inside is dead men's bones. It's not real. It's not real. And so I want to I share with you this morning, I, I'm trusting that every one of us would ask ourselves, where am I? Where am I? Am I just Christian in name? Am I maybe more than Christian in name, but I'm still lukewarm? Or am I truly on fire for God? Is the Holy Spirit burning like a fire on the inside of me? Because it's only over here that Christianity makes sense. And it's only here where lives are transformed. And so we need to move ourselves to this position. So imagine this for a moment, someone, you, you, you were born in a dungeon. Imagine this, you were born in a dungeon, you were born like in a deep, dark prison. You grew up in that dungeon, that's all you know. That's all you know. You've, you've, never, known, you've never been outside, you've never seen the light, it's dark, it's dreary. This is where you grew up, this is, this is all you know. And then suddenly one day, a man comes. Jesus, and he, he opens, he unlocks the gates, he comes down the stairs, he comes into the dark, and he says, come. And at first you don't really understand, because you have no frame of reference for this. You have no frame of reference. But as you come up the stairs, you see more light, more light, more light. You find yourself outside, in nature. And you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> wow, I never knew. Oh, I, I always thought that my little dungeon, this is it. This is all there is. I never realized there's so much more. And I, I, I would say this, this was my spiritual journey. I was in a spiritual dungeon in the sense of darkness. I had no living relationship with God. I, I had no frame of reference. All I knew was, well, people go to church. It's quiet. We look at one another, and uh, we sing a few songs, and we sing it quite 
You know, not out of the heart, you know, we just sort of sing the songs and, and then we sit, just one song at a time, then we sit. And then uh, and we hear a message and after 20 minutes, we're already watching our clocks, you know, the watches. Woo, there's a long service today. And we're in 20 minutes, 20 minutes in and woo, this is really going to be a long day. And the service is just like an hour long, you know, and like, whoa, that was enough for a month. And, but when I encountered God, the Holy Spirit, it's like coming out of a dungeon. It was coming into freedom. It was, wow, there's this, there's so much. There's so much. He is good. He is love. He's so much more. He's my everything. And so I want to, I want to hold this before you this morning. That each one of us can evaluate ourselves. Because there are so many people on that side. It's empty. It is dry. It is boring. It is not life-giving. And I believe there are some in this church that's also experienced the same thing. And I'm trusting we're going to move out of them. The Spirit-empowered church is like a sword that cuts through the darkness And breaks into people's environment and bring them into the light. That's God's heart. That's what he wants to do. There's real freedom in that space. So I want to show you a video. There's two two clips. I'm just going to show you the first clip now. At the end of the message, the other clip. It's about a a guy called Dan Bauman who went to Iran. And he was uh, imprisoned. And his experience. Which I believe it's a wonderful picture, parable for our spiritual condition. Okay. Me and a friend felt like we were supposed to go on a two-week visit into Iran and uh, had a great time and uh, fell in love with the country, fell in love with the people. While we were leaving the country, it was crossing the border. We hand in our documents to be stamped out of the country and we didn't get them back. And it was about six hours later that they finally came back to us and said, there's a problem with your documents. And the reality is that I had dealt with before I went. Like, what if you have a problem? What if there could be complications being an American? Yeah, it all came to the surface. And I realized, wow, I could really have a problem. Like, this is for real. And, um, yeah, in my walk with the Lord and in many dangerous places, I've always seen God come through. And all of a sudden, the thought hit me, well, what if this is different? They separated me and my friend, took me into another room, and there they beat me for about six hours, kicking me and hitting me. After those six hours, they dragged me back down to the lobby where I met my friend again who had been beaten in another room. They put us in prison clothes, and they blindfolded us again, and then they led us down this basement, and they put me into one prison cell, and my friend into another one and there I was in prison in Iran it was out of my hands there was nothing I could do either God would do a miracle or I would stay there there was no sense of feeling God I I felt like God was far away all I could really trust in was his character and that his character would be true no matter what I was feeling and no matter what circumstance I was going through they put me in a cell in isolation had a light in one corner, and that was on 24 hours a day. 
It was in the winter time. There was actually snow outside, but the heater didn't work well. They only let me out of the room to be interrogated, which was once a day or sometimes not at all. And then they would lead me down this hallway and take me into the interrogation room, which was an ugly room. It had blood stains on the floor, very dark and murky. It was definitely the most terrifying part of the whole experience. The beatings would start, and it would be slapping in the face, hitting in the stomach, sometimes kicking. I struggled with faith. Uh, was God with me? Did he love me? If God's good, why would he allow me through the situation? And I remember one day I woke up, and I was done, you know, inside. And I remember waking up that day thinking to myself, if I'm going to be here the rest of my life, why not check out? My only thought was not to stay there. And the only way not to stay there was to die. I, I stuck my head in the sink, I filled it up, and tied one end to a bracket, put it over my head, and then hopefully would tie the other end tight, thinking that, you know, with my head in the water, in a few minutes I'd be gone. Four times I tried to kill myself, but every time I tried, I was too scared to tie the other end. And I'll never forget the last time. Again I tried, again I was like, come on, do it, and again I just couldn't do it, I couldn't tie it tight. And I remember at that moment jerking my head out of the water, and if I was ever aware of my brokenness, I was aware of it at that moment. And I remember falling down on the ground, and I was broken. And if I was ever aware of my shame, I was aware of my shame at that moment. And I remember lying down on the ground in that moment, all of a sudden the room fills with this glorious light. And I turn around to see what's going on, and there is Jesus. And he's standing in front of me with this big grin and smile on his face. And it was at that lowest point that he met me. And he looks at me and he stretches out his hands and he puts them underneath me like this. And in the vision, as I see Jesus, he looks at me and says this. He says, Dan, I love you. And I promise to carry you through this time. And from that day until this day, I've never had those thoughts again. And that's who Jesus is. He meets us at our lowest and he can rescue us from the depths of us, and he wants to give us life in the midst of the pain of life. And he meets us, and he loves us, and he wants to rescue us no matter what we're going through. This thing is so powerful. It speaks to me of the of that jail. There are so many Christians that find themselves in spiritual jails. Because they don't know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They don't, know, they don't know the power of God. So I want to take you to 1 Thessalonians 1. I want to take you to a few verses there. To give you some background, in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul, he was a church planting apostle. And he was traveling with Silas, who was a prophetic guy. And uh, they went to uh, what's today like the parts of Turkey. And they were trying, wanting to go to the northern parts of Turkey. And the Holy Spirit said, don't go there. Don't go there. So they, were, they stopped. And that night he had a, a dream. A man appeared to him in this dream from Macedonia. And the man from Macedonia said, come over here. So Paul knew this, uh, this is God speaking. So they went to Macedonia, which is like northern parts of Greece. And then went to Philippi, where they were heavily persecuted. And then went down to Thessalonica. 
In Thessalonica, they, Paul did what he normally does. He went into the synagogue and he started to debate some of the Jews to, to, to reveal to them that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. He's the Son of God. So he went to the synagogue. Some Jews believed. Many Greeks believed. And they planted a church in that place. But persecution arose. Persecution arose in Thessalonica. The Jews came against him. Others came against him. There was a, a huge uproar in the city. And amazingly, the accusation was they went to the authorities and said, These guys, those who turned the world upside down, have come here also. Isn't that amazing? What an accusation. These troublemakers. You see, that's the, the essence of the gospel, the message of Christ. It turns lives upside down. It can turn communities right side up. And for us, this is so important. Planting now in Southernwood, starting evening service. Next week is a test run. And then on the 16th of August, we're going to, every Sunday evening, 5 o'clock, have services there. But we want to impact that community. They need Jesus. As many of us also needed Jesus. So anyway, so the persecution arose. And it was a, it was a, a really challenging time and culture. It wasn't like it is today. We don't really get persecuted. Worst is someone calling you an idiot. You know? But in those times, you were beaten, you were whipped, stoned, killed, as in some places in the world today. So the accusation was they who turned the world upside down have come here, and also they preach another king, King Jesus. Not Caesar. They they saying there's another king, King Jesus. You see, again, Paul didn't preach a little cute little baby in the manger, you know. He preached about the king of the universe. He preached about the one who was worthy of us bowing the knee and saying, King of kings and Lord of lords, you are worthy. So that's some of the backgrounds. I planted a church in, in Thessalonica. And then in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy, they write to them. So it says there in verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Grace meaning empowerment, favor. Grace to you. Grace to you. Then in the next verse, verse 2, we always thank God, for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers, mentioning you in our prayers. The Apostle Paul believed in the power of prayer. He, he said, continuously, we bring this church before the throne of God. We, we bring your names before God because we know prayer is powerful. Why pray? If God is almighty, all-powerful, and sovereign, why should we pray? I mean, God's going to do what he wants to do, isn't it? No. When God designed the world, the earth, he said, I'm going to inhibit myself on this planet. Everything that happens on this earth must happen through mankind. He handed stewardship over to people. And he said, now rule, now reign. If you stuff it up, it's going to be stuffed up. Well, it seems a little bit stuffed up. Because we stuffed it up. We, we messed it up. We handed it over to the enemy. But the same principle still stands. 
If we now pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we now partner with God, we unshackle God to be God here and now. That's the power of prayer. God is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, let your kingdom come. But a human being must pray it. A human being must ask it. You know, God's not just going to... We need to ask Him to come into our families. We need to ask Him to come into our communities. It's the power of prayer. It unshackles God. Because God has said, I'm not going to work unless it's through people. If you ask me to come, I'm going to come. Let's ask. Let's pray. It's worth it. Next verse. It's going it's to it's make a huge difference. We continually remember... Before our God and Father, your work, say work, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. So he's saying we, we remember before our God, we, as, as we pray for you, we remember that you guys, you work, you labor, you endure. How? Because of faith, because of love, and because of hope. You see, I think Gareth mentioned it as well, but when we look at this world, if we look at the darkness, if you look long enough at the darkness, you will have no faith left. So I, I often read articles on the internet, and you come to a point, I'm not in the mood for this anymore. You know, it's, it's not good for my faith. Okay, so another one got murdered. Okay, another one got killed. They raped, messed up. Okay, there's more darkness. Okay, world's, world's going to the dogs. It doesn't help me. It doesn't build up my faith. But how do we get faith? We get faith when we look at our loving God, almighty, all-powerful God. When I look at Jesus, my faith levels lift. And the result of my faith levels lifting is I begin to work. I begin to step out. I begin to do a church of action. The Thessalonians were a church of action. I believe God's called us to be a church of action. Because we believe, we act. And also, because of your love, you labor. Uh, the scripture speaks of Jesus when he saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. And then he healed them, he fed them, he blessed them. The power of compassion. The power of compassion. May we know the love of God. May it move upon us. May we know the compassion of Christ that will move us out of our fear, out of our passivity, out of our comfort. May it move us because we love. I want to agree. God wants to impact this, this city through this church, through you. I believe God has called each one of us to reach one. Each one. Reach one. I would like to say each one reach five, but it doesn't rhyme. So we're going to start with each one reach one. Imagine if every one of us once a year would lead someone to Jesus. Just one. We'll change the world. Just one. Just if every one of us would catch fire on the inside where the love of Christ would impact us so profoundly that we, we can't just go on 
as is because we are burning with love and compassion for those who don't know him. Around us, every day of our lives, there are people around us, every day of our lives, neighbors, family, work colleagues, every day of our lives, is the compassion of Christ moving us. And it should move us at least to start praying. So at the end of the service, we're going to fill in these little cards that's on your chairs. Each one reach one. And we're going we're gonna... to... Anyway, I'll get to, the, to that in a moment. And it also says endurance because of the hope. In other words, we don't give up. He's saying, the Thessalonians, we, we know that you endure. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of everything that's happening in your lives, you're still enduring. Why? Because you have hope. You know it's going to work out. You know God's going to move. You know it's going to happen. Next verse. This is the one I actually want to focus on. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Let's say it. I am chosen. You are chosen for more than just going to heaven one day. You are chosen to make a difference in this life. This life. Let's break it down. This month, make a difference in someone's life. You are chosen because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Isn't that amazing? That that verse 5. Our gospel, our good news, the good news we spoke when we, when, Thessalonians, when, when, when I came to your city, the Apostle Paul is saying, when, when we came and we shared with you the good news of Jesus, the Messiah who was risen from the dead, the Son of God, God in the flesh, when we came to share this message with you, it wasn't just with words. It wasn't just like a nice few words we spoke to you. The words we spoke, it was more than words. The power of God backed up this word. And more than this, the Holy Spirit came with this word. And more than that, it, deep conviction gripped your heart. Deep conviction. So with power, in other words, we, we didn't just tell you about God. We showed you God. We demonstrated the kingdom of God. And we can share many stories about that. But just something beautiful last week, Sunday... Uh, Hanley Buerta and Leon came to me after the service. She was about a week overdue with a baby. And uh, so they asked that for me to pray for them. So I prayed for Hanley and uh, I said, baby, come in Jesus' name. <laughs> come. And just after we prayed, she said the baby moved down. And then after service, the, the labor po- process began. Fascinating thing is, last time, their first child, exactly the same thing. They went a week or more after, after due date, came to church, prayed for them, labor. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> now, I don't know if anybody's going to fall on their knees and worship Jesus because of that, but uh, it's still the power of God. You pray for this little life, something we have no control over, and suddenly baby moves down and positions correctly for labor. Small, but beautiful. Power of God. But then Paul says as well, I didn't just come to you with power. I came to release the Holy Spirit over you. Go read the book of Acts. 
It is incredible. The focus on the Holy Spirit by the apostles. Surely they are our example. So in Acts chapter 8, you can read it for yourself, but Philip goes to a city, preaches the gospel to Samaria. The people come to Christ. Miracles happen. People come to Christ. The apostles here. Then they send the apostles and they come to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says, for the Spirit has not yet fallen upon them. So the apostles came. And they released the Holy Spirit over the Samaritans. Because the apostles know, without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to make it. Without the Holy Spirit, with a dry, empty religion, you're dead. Not in this culture. Not in the challenges that we are facing. And I believe today is the same. Without the Holy Spirit, you will have a dry, empty experience. It's going to be like, yeah, I don't know why the people are so excited. And here we are. Oh. This is amazing. God is here. Holy Spirit. And then it says deep conviction. What is deep conviction? It's like realizing this is for me. So by the power of the Spirit, if something happens on the inside where you realize, that's me. This guy is speaking about me. I am a sinner. I am lukewarm. I have gone astray. I have turned my back on God. I must turn back to Him. Deep conviction. Deep conviction. I'm praying for deep conviction this morning. (laughs) Deep conviction. That we will not just hear the word and walk away unchanged. We say, this word's for me. This is me. This is me. Gospel of power. The gospel of power. So in the next verse... Before I read that, just is a, in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. So, so Paul is saying, guys, where the Holy Spirit is at work, there is freedom. Okay, so if the Holy Spirit is not at work somewhere, What is there? Bondage. It's like being in jail. I think sometimes people come from a spiritual jail where they were without Christ and without God in this world. And then they turn to Jesus and they pray the prayer, but then they turn to dead religion. And then they substitute one prison for another prison. Because dead religion is a prison. If you read Matthew 23, Jesus came against the Pharisees that represented dead religion. And he said, guys, you do not enter the kingdom of God. Neither are you allowing others to. Neither are you. You're keeping people out of the kingdom. You're keeping people away from me. You're telling the kids stay away. You're telling the prostitutes stay away. You're trying to clean this thing up. But it's no one is having a life changing encounter. With the living God. Dead religion keeps people away from Jesus. And we need to realize this. And we need to tell ourselves, God help us that we never fall. Because any church can move into dead religion. Any person or any Christian can go lukewarm and fall into dead religion. It's not just the church down the road. It can be us. 
And so the Holy Spirit fire must burn in our hearts so brightly. But I don't know, I don't know I'm, just, I'm just like thinking, I'm tired of fake Christianity. Because it's keeping people away. Because when I speak to those people that are in false Christianity or lukewarm Christianity, they think, well, I'm going to church. What is the stuff you're talking about? It's keeping them away. It's a plan of the enemy. Just give them enough to sort of the, sort, sort out the conscience, but never truly experiencing the life-giving power of God. And I just realized we need to say this. Dead religion keeps people away from Jesus. 70% plus of this nation say they are Christian. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. If 70% of this nation were Christian, this nation would not look like it is. But we need to say it, we need to acknowledge it, we need to, and, and if, if you find yourself in that place of empty, dry, dead religion, then you need to say, okay, God, I need to, I need to, I need to turn. This needs to change. A spirit-empowered church is where God the Holy Spirit reigns. Influences lives, empowers people. I did, my words didn't, it wasn't just words. It came with power, came with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. May we be such a church. I believe God's calling us there to be such a church. Now it says here in verse 6, verse 6, you became imitators of us and the Lord in, in spite of severe suffering. Say severe suffering. Okay, severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And also, so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So, the Thessalonians became a model for the, for the wider, the greater church world. I'm saying, God, may we be a model. <laughs> May we be a model of humility. May we be a model of passion. May we be a model of purity. May we be a model of people sold out for Christ. May we be a model of a spirit-empowered church. And so it says there, severe suffering. I think sometimes in our environment, Western society, we don't know real suffering. In a sense of persecution because of our faith. Unfortunately, do you know that that's actually bad? That's actually sad. Because when there isn't persecution, the people tend to become lukewarm and comfortable and passive. And the church tends to be mixed between people who are on fire and those who are not. Add some persecution. Let's have it. Ten guys storming here right now with machine guns. If you deny Christ, we'll let you live, run out. What would be the result? There would be a fascinating study. I think we should do a study sometime and, uh, and see what's going to be the result. Who's the real Christian in the house? It'd be a brilliant experiment. But the point being is where there's real persecution... You actually have to decide. And it, 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 it separates the true from the false Christian. And the, the, those who remain are passionate and pure, undefiled. Because persecution purifies. 
It purifies. I think sometimes we hold on more to our comfort than to Christ. Deep conviction. And I'm saying this to myself. It's so easy to become comfortable. It is so easy to. It is so easy to to embrace all the things of this world and we find ourselves lukewarm, passionless, and people lost around us. The, 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 The Jesus that we are supposed to follow is the king of the universe. King of the universe. It's like sometimes we, yeah, it's hard, you know, fast a day. Whoa, you know, food for a day, no food for a day. That's the end of my life. And I also don't like fasting. But I need it. And I believe in our environment, in our culture, where we are not persecuted for our faith, we need to fast. You need to create an environment where you, you cause yourself to suffer a little bit. Out of your comfort zone. I don't pray God make me suffer, but I can make myself uncomfortable. I can turn my TV off and I can focus. Okay, God, I really need you. This is super uncomfortable. Everybody's eating. I'm not. Why? Why? Yes, good question. Why am I doing this? Because God, I want to know you and I want this city transformed. Fasting is powerful. Because, it, because we deny ourselves, fasting releases power for, for people to be set free. When we combine it with prayer, it, it causes the kingdom to come. But we need to step out of our comfort zone. Out of our comfort zone. So that it brings freedom and it also brings a renewal to our walk with God. If we don't, if we just go where it's comfortable over and over and over again. You're not following Jesus. Jesus doesn't lead us into our comfort. He leads us out of our comfort. That's where Jesus is. I've preached about this before. Jesus waits for us outside of our comfort zone. He does. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Last time I checked, picking up your cross. Ay, ay, ay. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. But it's worth it. It's worth it. To know him and to know the power, the fullness of God in one's life is like coming out of a dungeon into freedom. Let's not go back to the dungeon. Let's not go back to dead religion. Let's not go back to lukewarmness. Let's come to a place where we are cut to the heart. Deep conviction. Whoa, I need to sort out my life. I am lukewarm. If that's you, make a change today. See, the thing is, you might be saved. You might be a Christian. You might have prayed the prayer, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I am a sinner. I choose now to follow you. And you find yourself in a place of lukewarmness where it's all about you, yourself, your own life, and what you want to do. You could find yourself losing your salvation over time. You could find yourself in a place where you you don't know him anymore because he's walked on and you didn't follow I'm preaching the biblical gospel this morning for those who do not know. <laughs> this is biblical. This is the real gospel. It's a gospel. Come and die to self so that you may truly live. And our Western Christianity has really become soft. It's become soft. 
And it's costing us. It's costing us. So I'm saying, God, when we plant this church now in Southernwood, it's going to be a spirit-empowered church. From the start, spirit-empowered church. We will not compromise on the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Let's step out of our comfort. Okay, are you more keen to fast by now? <laughs> and if that didn't work for you, bit of fat on the sort it out. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. We are here to help. If Jesus fasted for 40 days, the Son of God, and if the Apostle Paul fasted often when he planted churches and was extending the kingdom of God, how much more do we need it? We need it. So I want to show you the next video, the second part of his story, which is just so powerful. Let's go. God began to challenge me with his love for our enemies. And he said this, he's like, Dan, ask me what I think about this man. And he asked me the question about the man who was my interrogator, the man who beat me, the man who seemed to hate me the most. And it was a few days into it that I finally asked God, okay, yeah, what do you think of this man? And at that moment, yeah, my heart opened up and I began to see God's love for this man. How he loved him from the beginning, how he made him how he loved his family, and I'll never forget the last day I saw him. I remember on this day thinking, oh my gosh, what's he going to do today? And at that moment, I remember looking at him and I said this. I said, sir, if I'm going to see you the rest of my life, every day, why don't we become friends? He's like, no, that's impossible. And I said, sir, you can start by telling me your name. And I stuck out my hand to him and I said, sir, let's be friends. And as I stuck out my hand to shake his hand, he just stood there and he froze. And after a few minutes, he started to shake. And then all of a sudden, I saw his hand creep towards mine, and he shook my hand. And as he's shaking my hand, I saw these tears start to roll down his face. And for about 10 minutes, he just shook my hand and tears streaming down his face. And he finally looks at me and he says this. He's like, Dan, and he calls me by my name. My name is Razak, and I would love to be your friend. And it caused me to see that there is no heart too hard for Jesus. That he can change the hardest heart. God taught me to love my enemies. I heard these guards talking about the foreigners, me and my friend. They're Christians, they follow Jesus. And another one was said, oh, these foreigners, they knew they could have problems when they came here. But they have purpose. They've got a reason to live and a reason to die. And that's what I want. And I heard three of these men say, yeah, today we are going to follow Jesus. We are going to follow the way. And if that was part of the reason why God allowed me down there, uh, yeah, so be it. And just like, yeah, those guards in prison, I, I long for people to know today how good Jesus is, that he can rescue us in the midst of pain, in the midst of our shame, our brokenness. He wants to meet us and that he is good no matter what we're going through and that he loves us. I found out indirectly that I was under two death sentences, one for being a missionary, one for being a spy. 
And again, in that prison, I heard executions, yeah, quite regularly. And it was my moment in a courtroom. I stood on the stand, hundreds of people in the room, video cameras, judges. And then came the question, tell us today, sir, why? Why did you come to Iran? Something rose up within me, that, yeah, the power of God. And I remember looking at the judge and saying this, I came to Iran to tell you about Jesus Christ. And when I said that, I'm like, oh, what did I say? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I said it again. And then I said it again. And then something started to grow in my heart. And for about 20 minutes, I just preached the gospel. And I told everyone in that courtroom, and I told everyone who could hear me, all about who Jesus is, all about how much he loved him. All of a sudden, I realized something. I am free. I am free. So what if they kill me? My life is bought by the blood of Jesus. My home is in heaven, and no one can take that away. And I realized that in the midst of death itself, God gave me the grace to stand up and speak the truth. And in doing so, it brought freedom in my heart, knowing that this life isn't it. There is more, and I'm going home one day, and no one can take that away. That's powerful. And then we ask ourselves, why is it so hard to tell my neighbor about Jesus? Why is it so hard to tell? I love that. But I realized that he needed to have an encounter with Jesus so that he could release an encounter to others with Jesus. So the last verse I want to read, verse 9. And 10, it says, the Apostle Paul shares how they've been told. It says, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So you turn away from dead, empty, so-called gods to the real, the living one, the one true God. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us. From the coming wrath. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So he said, you guys, you were serving other things. But you've turned. In our culture, we don't necessarily bow before statues. But we still have idols. Other things we are serving. Other things that we are following at the expense of following and serving the one true God, the living God. He is alive. And so you, you cannot follow the living God if you pursue the idols. Whatever that might be. Success. Your career. Whatever you might, your sport, your this, your that. There's a thousand things we can mention. Your TV. I also like HD. I do. But I must choose. I'm going to surrender my soul to entertainment. Or will I surrender my soul and my spirit to God? That's probably the biggest test, biggest challenge in our culture. To walk away from the comfort. And to choose to follow him. So imagine this for a moment. 
There's a tsunami coming. Massive tsunami. You're on an island, Indonesia, that area. There is a uh, tsunami coming. You heard on the radio, tsunami is coming. Massive. It's going to flood the, most of the island. Most of the island. So you, you hear this, and you run out onto the streets, and you go warn everybody. Say, hey, there's a tsunami coming. Get to the hills. So you can be saved. But no one hears you. No one hears you. It's like you're screaming and they're just walking on this. They don't hear you. They don't hear you. They're not aware that anything is coming, that something like this is going to happen. And that scenario for me explains to me what it is without conviction. The message without deep conviction, no one's going to listen. But the message with deep conviction, they're going to wake up and run to the hills. Higher ground. Jesus is the higher ground. He is the one who has come to rescue us from the coming wrath. The moment someone dies without a real, a living relationship with, with Jesus Christ, they experience wrath. An eternal separation from God. Forever and ever and ever. So first off, we need to evaluate ourselves. Where am I at? Do I have a living relationship with Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that question. Then, okay, God, I've ticked that. I'm, I, I'm in. I'm, 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 I have a living relationship. But I've been maybe lukewarm. I've been stagnating. I've, I've not been pursuing you. I've been doing my own thing. I've been missing this thing. King Jesus is more like, you know, buddy Jesus, my genie Jesus. When I'm in trouble, Jesus help. You know? But if he's king, it's different. We're going to follow him. So we need to evaluate ourselves. First off, do I have a living relationship with Jesus? Secondly, am I lukewarm in the faith or am I on fire for Jesus? And then thirdly, how many people around me doesn't know Jesus? They don't have a living relationship. Maybe they even go to church, but it's not. They don't have a living relationship with Christ. And what are we going to do? 